Welcome to the Female Founder Squad podcast. So I'm really excited to have with me today Nilo Far Romani. Uh, Nilo is definitely one of our most techie guests to date. She studied electrical engineering at college, then went on to do a computer science master's, and then has since held some serious tech positions in in some great companies. She's been a DevOps engineer, Dev security ops engineer, site reliability engineer, and she's currently a VP at Goldman Sachs. So welcome, Nilo. Thank you for joining us today. It's great for, to be here. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm really good. So as I, I just introduced you as being one of our most techie guests, you did a, like electrical engineering at college. You're obviously clearly interested in, in tech from an early age. How did you get into that at, at such an early age? Yeah, so I had the blessing of having female engineers in my life. My older sister was one of my role models. And in my family, we were just very like studious people. So I remember being like three years old and I have a twin sister. So my second oldest sister would kind of give us like spelling bees, little, little tests. She'd give us like math problems to do. And and these are things like we would do, like other kids would play video games. We would be doing like math problems for fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's so nerdy. I mean, I I still feel like kids should be having fun, but yeah, it, it was definitely extreme. So I remember going into and it's going to sound a little bit cocky, but I remember going into kindergarten so bored because yeah. I just knew everything already. And I, I honestly have to thank my family for that because they allowed me to have that confidence going into school. So, you know, anytime I was given assignments earlier on in my education, I automatically knew how to solve everything. And so I guess really it comes down to influence and having the confidence to being able to say like, okay, I can go into this field. And with the math and the science, that was always where my passions were. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's obviously stood you in a good student in good stead because your career has uh, has been really great. Do you want to just talk us through your career moves uh, to date from from your college after your college? Yeah, so I studied electrical engineering, like you mentioned. It still is very relevant to computer science and tech as a whole. I mean, that's exactly how you understand what's inside your devices. Yeah. You know, what what is running through your devices? How how is this working? So I think that gave me the like foundational knowledge to then go into more of like the software world. So coming out into the industry, I started working as a software engineer, and, and it was great. But I have like a yearning for knowledge. So I I felt like I wanted to sort of expand more on computer science. And so I ultimately joined a computer science master's program. I want to say a year and a half into the industry. I did that part-time and finished up actually only recently. So I have my master's in computer science and now I'm just really enjoying focusing time on working. And, you know, I also do things with like social media and just trying to inspire other women to kind of come on board and and do the same thing. But career wise, I've done all sorts of different roles. I mainly sort of focus on the infrastructure side of software. So I work with cloud technology, a lot of automation, you know, the deployments and scalability of applications. Yeah. Yeah, it's great that you've previously worked in. I see you've been a DevSecOps uh, site reliability engineer, and you're now VP at Goldman Sachs. Was there many women in the same positions as you? Or did you find it quite a lonely place as far as being there, maybe the one or two only female in those teams? Definitely the latter. I actually never met a woman 
at least in my working experience, that had the same position as me or did the same thing as me. So yeah, definitely very lonely. (laughs) And how do you, how did you find you were treated within, within those um, teams and companies? Yeah. So I'll give you my first experience kind of insight on that. So I interned the summer before I graduated and I remember there was like, I think 300 interns and it was for a very large corporation. They ended up being my first job. So I loved, loved the job. But when I went into the internship, I got teamed up with, I think, six other male engineers. And they definitely, I, I, am, I went in there and to be frank with you, I said, these people are privileged and I am not because <laughs> they had this like, this confidence, this like, I'm going to take over the world and I don't care who gets in my way sort of attitude versus I was like more sort of humble and like I'm here to work and improve myself and hopefully get an offer out of this. And I genuinely wanted to be their their teammates, but it was very quickly evident that that was not going to be the case. I remember, you know, if you speak about being a minority, not even just a female, but a female minority, there was one individual there in particular who wanted to bring up like, a conflict, a very infamous conflict in the Middle East. And I remember he brought that up on the first day when he met me. And I'm like, wow, like, did he just, did he lead with that? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when you're in that situation, you don't actually understand what's happening. Like you, you try to justify and say that could be a coincidence, you know, like maybe he just was curious and wanted to, you know, see what my opinion would be. Yeah. Of course you let it slide. And then, you know, now in retrospect, I think there wasn't one day in those three months I was in that internship that that situation did not come up in one way or another. And like, part of me, I, I'm so mad at myself for, you know, not sort of addressing yeah. it head on. I think one of the hardest yeah, things- Just calling it out. Yeah. One of the hardest things about navigating being a woman in tech is dealing with those biases that you can't like you don't have hardcore proof that yeah. they're there, you know, like this person is might not be outright hateful towards you. And it's not even just like, you know, being a female minority, but also just a female, like there are also situations where, you know, somebody might think that you might know less because you're a woman. And so you don't, again, you don't have hardcore proof that the biases are there, but eventually you sort of build up enough of a hunch where, I've learned you should address it. Yeah. Not the first day until it's been proven. And so in that situation, I I stayed quiet the entire time, but I was very, very uncomfortable. I mean, it's unfortunate because when I think about that internship, that's all I think about. Yeah. I should be thinking about all the cool things that we built. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was ready to be out of there. (laughs) Yeah. And so just to put the context around that, so you have a Middle Eastern ethnicity and so you are the minority in that sense and being the female. And so, you know, out with your, with your internship and dealing with those, dealing with those um, conversations or those incidences moving forward in your career, is that something that has been carried with you? Or did you learn then from that internship to whenever you felt that sort of uncomfortable or that bias do you now feel more comfortable to call these things out or how do you how do you cope with that now or do you maybe you don't even uh, have to deal with that now yeah I definitely am more fortunate where I don't deal with that right now yeah I will say though it, it in the past it did come up after that and you know it's something that you never, you never really understand when it's happening, at least yeah. for me. And again, I don't, if it were to happen now, I would hope that I would say, okay, 
like, I'm going to give this person, you know, X amount of time. And if it doesn't stop, we're, we're going to squash this. That, that's my attitude now. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the past, it's just been more like, okay, I, this is making me uncomfortable. I don't want to deal with it. Like I'll just work around it. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. think that comes with age as well, doesn't it? You know, I think the older you get and more confident you are in your own skin and your own being and, you know, you're more, kind of, you're more ready to call things out rather than when you're younger, you want to, you want to be a little bit more silent and not, not kind of rock the boat and, you know, but, but you're right. You know, I think what I think is great nowadays is that I find millennials are really very confident enough to call these things out which I don't think I ever was at that age but yeah the more we call these things out the better right yeah and I would say like I used to personally be afraid of having negative attention on me like I I didn't want to be the girl who complained about that sort of thing and in retrospect that's that's ridiculous if anything yeah. you're you're sticking up for yourself yeah and kind of going back to your question of if that were to happen now I think part of the reason why it doesn't is I also exude this confidence, but hopefully that an individual who would even think that they want to say something like that, I would hope that they know by looking at me and, you know, understanding who I am, that it wouldn't fly. Yeah. I think it's also just having that confidence in the workplace and really around your peers in general so that they know that that's never going to fly with you. Yeah. I know that's great. And so where are you now with your career? I mentioned in the introduction, you are now a VP at Goldman Sachs. You're still, you're based in Virginia. Is that right? Yes. I'm based in Northern Virginia, DC area. Cool. And so what's, what does that role entail for you at Goldman Sachs? So essentially it's more or less what I've been doing for the past few years. So site reliability engineering position, I would say now more than ever, I get to exercise some like speaking skills, like technical leading skills I get to actually help make design decisions versus in the past, it was more, you know, here is the task at hand, write the code for it, fix the issue. But now it's definitely become more of like a, I have this influence in my role. Yeah, that's great. And so how are you enjoying that? Because it's relatively new, right? I love it. Yeah, it's amazing. I do feel like I get to sort of have more of a voice at work, which I I absolutely love. And I, I feel like it's just, you know, there's, it's going back to what you said about kind of a maturity thing. You know, when you're young, you're just so vulnerable. You're going in there worried about what everyone's thinking. And I used to stay so quiet. Like I would not want to say my opinion because I was like, what if I'm wrong? And now I'm like, you know, if I think that something's right, I'm going to say it. Yeah. Nine times out of 10, you, you probably are really contributing something positive to the conversation. So I've learned to like show up speak up and definitely make your presence known when you, you know, feel like you can contribute to something. Yeah. And do you have, is there more females on your team in, in, in similar roles yeah. in Goldman yeah, Sachs? Definitely. Yeah. Goldman Sachs is amazing about that. They definitely value diversity, which is why going into a new position, I told myself that no matter how amazing a position might be, whether it's a role, the company, the tech the diversity aspect has to be there. So I do work with women. My my manager is actually a woman and she she's amazing. So I think it's definitely important to also sort of look around you when you're working on an engineering team and make making sure that you're represented as well. So throughout your career then and being in your earlier positions, being one of the only women in, in these tech teams, has that really led you to have that passion for being an advocate for for female females in tech? Definitely. So fun fact, I think if you talk to me about this 
three, four years ago and told me what I was doing, that I was putting myself out there and speaking about this, I would be like, I, I would not believe you. Like I was always so sort of silent about the, the gender gap. I, I, I almost didn't want to bring it to light because I was like, I don't want anyone to know I'm uncomfortable. I just want to be a part of the team. Like I so badly wanted to assimilate. And that's natural right? when you're like fresh out of college you know, and you're, you're going into the industry and you already feel singled out. You don't want to continuously feel singled out, but yeah, it's one of those things where had I, you know, if I could go back, I would make some more noise about it. Now it's to the point where I, I always make sure that, you know, if there is an opportunity for my team to become more diverse, or if I know someone, you know, outside of work who might be particularly interested in getting the tech, then I will do everything I can because, I, I don't want anyone to go through what I did, frankly. I mean, for just, just being a girl completely singled out in, in the industry around so many different personalities that are, you know, in my, in my situation, more confident, more assertive than I was having some sort of mentor to navigate through those situations is, is very valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And have you had a mentor through all of those, all of your positions? And is it the same mentor? I've had like tech mentors. They've usually been male. I would say I have three sisters and that's usually who I bounce my ideas off of. Um, And two of them are older than me. One is a female engineer and she's a leader in um, the industry as well. So I've, I'm advantaged there because I'll, I'll like call her after work and like give her a situation and she will talk me through it. So yeah, yeah. I, I had the same mentor, I would say throughout. Yeah, that's good. So just, I just want to go back and pick up the point because I totally agree with you regarding that, you know, the female advocacy in tech. I, I was also like you three or four years ago, I would never have seen myself having a, a you know, female founder squad because while I was always pro women, I, yeah. I was never really, and this is, this, I've realized now this mindset comes from a privileged, a privileged background, but I was never really aware that feminism still needed to be promoted because I assumed that we were equal. And that's very much looking back at that now is such a privileged um, position to be in, not to be aware of that, because I think, you know, women of ethnicity, especially, are so aware of, you know, the inequities that's involved in tech and, and in other you know sectors and, uh, and, and other places. And it wasn't until last year when I started reading some more industry, did some more industry reading and read books like Protopia and Invisible Women that I realized just this huge amount of inequity that's that's there in tech and that's really when that sort of fired up this feminist inside me because I was like what why are we still dealing with this and you know my children are a mixed race and I just feel well if my if my daughter wanted to get into tech and she you know I don't want to hand her the world that it currently is because she would be straight away disadvantaged, you know? And so that's really the, the fire that, that, that lit within me to get, to get this started. And I think the more, I think the older we become, we become more confident that we're allowed, that we allow ourselves to speak up about these things. And um, it's definitely something that I'm teaching my daughter to speak up about more, you know? And so I just wanted to, to that sort of leads us into this question of what can we do that, you know, inspires this culture for young women, young girls to to feel the confidence to go into tech, to know that if, I, if I'm interested in STEM, like maths and science, like you were at a young age, 
and I want to go into this career, I want to go into it knowing I'm not going to be disadvantaged. So, you know, what do you think that how do we how do we foster that culture for for these young girls and women? I think that we as women have to help ourselves, right? No one's going to do it for us. Yeah. Like you mentioned, like three, four years ago before Female Founders Squad, you you didn't think to do it and you you turned that around and, you know, yeah. you're doing all of this for that. Because, you you know, we've all come to this realization that we're the ones that have to do it. Yeah. And so I think the, one of the biggest things is if you're talking about girls at a young age is just being able to see it, right? Yeah. So you can't like, be what you can't see, right? Exactly. So if, if there is someone who looks like they can, they're doing what you are potentially considering, then that's going to significantly help. So hopefully, you know, within like school and sort of just the community, we're, we can continue to do things to sort of foster that interest. Yeah. My, my personal interest is actually within the industry because going to school, yes, I had my fair share of struggles, but I wanted to be an engineer so badly that, you know, I, I just pushed through. Like I was always in classes with everybody was a man and, and not me, but, you know, I, I pushed through that, you know, I, I befriended my, my peers, but the hardest thing for me was actually going into the industry. And so what I think is kind of going back to what I mentioned earlier is navigating through those biases that you don't actually have hardcore proof that are there. That's been the biggest struggle for me. I personally feel like a lot of us, us as women, you know, and this is a general statement, we, we try to maintain peace and sort of be very PC. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's at the expense of our comfort and almost can become like a toxic work environment. Yeah. First of all, no, no working environment is worth toxicity. It's just like yeah. a relationship, right? Like there's no value that comes out of it. So for me personally, if there's a toxic work environment, I'm, I'm out the door yesterday. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't deal with it now. Yeah. But I would say like, how do we even, how do we avoid getting to that point? Because mm. it just takes one person on the team to say, okay, this girl seems confident. She seems like she's going to come here and make decisions and do really well and shine. Like I wanted, I want to dim, dim her light a little bit. How can I make her feel like she's being challenged? And I'm, I know that sounds shocking, but that's honestly sometimes the hunch I've I've gotten before. And I think some people might not even be doing it on purpose. Like there are, it's, it's human nature, right? Like when you're working with the same type of person and in comes this, this new, new kind of person, it kind of might spark a little, you know, sort of a challenge to some people. And so they might yeah. have these, they don't even know are there. And a lot of people are threatened. You know, a lot of people are like, whoa, she's so good. She's, yeah. she's going to be better at me. And she'll be, she'll be after my job. She'll be after my role. And well, I think I totally get what you're saying. My experience of that as well as some of that sometimes comes from women themselves you know, and that's even worse in a sense, you know, that's, and that's really difficult to deal with because, you know, there's such a, well, one of the, one of the ethos behind Female Founder Squad is sisterhood over competition, you know, and it's, it's that sort of mindset and mentality that I've taken to most places or all places that I've worked. And and when you are in those roles and that happens, you know, it's, it is really, really difficult to deal with, isn't it? Yeah. And exactly like in the situation where I said someone might you know, come in and want to sort of make you feel challenged at work. It could be a, a woman too. Yeah. yeah. And that's when it's even harder because you're like, I want to so badly be on the same team as you. Yeah. So, g- kind of going back to your question about what we can do. I 
personally feel like we need to do more to make sure it doesn't even get there. Because yeah. if you are fostering a work environment where those, what I'm calling biases that are hard to prove are, you know, dis- like they're not encouraged, they're not allowed, they're yeah. going to be called out. If we can make it so that there's an environment where you know that behavior is not going to fly, I feel like people would be less inclined to act like that. Or for those who have their unknown you know, sort of unintentional biases towards female minorities or female minorities, they can sort of be more educated and kind of watch signs for what they might be perceived as to a woman. Yeah. Um, So one example is like maybe having workshops. And I know I've, I've worked at a company that's done this before where they'll sort of have these workshops about, you know, sort of navigating different cultures at work and, you know, women in tech, women in the industry. And, you know, that one hour session, what's, what's one hour in everyone's career, right? Yeah. That one hour session might help someone come out of it and say, oh, wow, you know, maybe I've been treating Nilo like this and she probably feels this way. And I, I didn't even know that. Or like, you know, maybe the person from this country with a slight accent, you know, may- maybe they're also having trouble understanding what I'm saying because my accent's different. Like, you know, like it's situations like that where you might have this unconscious bias yeah. someone, whether it's, you know, they're Ill, Ill, Ill intentioned or not. You as like a company organization, you're showing this is what we're investing our time into making sure that this sort of work environment is not going to fly. And I think just having those consistent reminders that, Mm -hmm. okay, we need to continuously educate ourselves and foster an open collaborative working environment that will not only prevent, prevent, you know, women from being treated that way or, you know, minorities, but also, you know, have women feel like, okay, I can, I can thrive in the industry. I, I have this, like this backing, this organization that cares about me. Yeah, I know. I think that's great. And I think the more organizations that do adopt that kind of workshops and culture would be really, really helpful. And, you know, it's funny because I was so shocked last year when I started reading Brotopia. Have you read that? I have not. Oh, my goodness. It's Emily Chang, first of all. She's the the anchor, the anchor woman of Bloomberg TV. She lifts the lid on this culture in Silicon Valley about, you know, these big companies that we hear about, like Google and Facebook and Everyone wants to work at Google because it's so cool and they must be so awesome to their employees. These giants portray a culture of exactly that, of being aware of um, unconscious bias and diversity and inclusion and trying to do as much as uh, much as possible to support um, these things in their companies. But you read this book and you're like, wow, they're so getting it wrong. They all look great. But actually, she when she was she's digging through the culture of these companies, she's like, yeah, it's it it is the opposite of that. So it's about embedding it, I think, even before you go into the workplace, right? Yeah, there's something to be said about at least our education system, and that there's there there's a very significant need for more sort of valuable life skills to be embedded and taught. So like, yeah, traversing a world with different cultures, we we should have more courses about that. We should have. Yeah. A, and why why not in like high school or you know middle school do we not have a course on what it's going to be like working in a workplace and how to yeah. navigate you know the workplace how to work with different cultures and different ideas like these are 
these are skills that not only will help everyone in the long term, but even you as an individual, how does that value you? You you become more emotionally intelligent when you can understand how someone, you know, might be thinking or what what their intention is. And so I think that, yeah, I I love your sentiment about how that really should be embedded into our school system. Yeah. Yeah. And so we were chatting there just about as well, you know, you can't be what you can't see. So I wondered who were your, apart from your your sister, obviously our sisters, who were your inspirations as far as women in tech? Who who are they? So to be quite honest with you, there wasn't one person growing up where I, I just aspired to yeah. be. What really helped me, it was like bits and pieces. It's like, you know, growing older, I now have so many different women in, in tech that I, I look up to. But I would say at a very young age, just getting involved in this STEM field is what ultimately inspired me. So like I did a robotics camp. I remember sort of taking these like additional courses in math and science and, you know, different university trips as a kid and just kind of going and feeling like I want to be a part of something big. And so being, being a part of tech to this day, like when I read something that's happening in in the technology world, it still like puts chills down my spine because I'm like, I love that I'm part of this. So yeah, there's one thing to make sure you're able to see it. Yeah. Another thing is also to ensure that you know, you're doing it for the right reason. Like you're, you're, if you have that passion for it, that that's the most important thing. And then everything else is just trying to help, you know, sort of enable you. Yeah. Yeah. You seem like the perfect person to be a founder. You, you know, you have all the experience. You don't need to, you don't need to, what's the word I'm looking for? Outsource any coding. You can do all that. You know, clearly a lot about tech. So why are you not a founder? (laughs) (laughs) I get this question by so many people, like everyone almost expects me to be like, you know, having my own company by now. So this is one of my things. I will say that, you know, it's obviously one of my aspirations to be a part of something big, right? I want to make sure I'm doing it for the right reasons. There's so much pressure in the tech industry to go in and, you know, be a founder, make your impact sell a company for a billion dollars. Like the chances of that happening are a very small percentage. So if I want to be in that window of, you know, successful startups or successful founders, I would rather kind of wait a little bit to ensure that I'm gaining all the industry experience and knowledge. So if later on down the road in like five, 10 years, I see a gap in the industry and I'm like, oh my God, I can passionately and perfectly solve this. Yeah, I will then go for it. But coming up with an idea just to come up with an idea and yeah. be a CEO to me is not for me personally, not the right reasons to go into it. That's more of a personal reason to go into it versus for, for me, I want to be a part of something that's to the greater good. And if you look at you know, the, the successful founders of the world, they've all had an impact on our world. And so kind of making sure to me, making sure that if I do go into that and like sort of open that can of worms, it's, it's for the right reasons. It's for making an impact of some sort. 
Yeah, I mean, and the good thing is you have plenty of time, right? So talking about you've made this jump from from your IT roles, you're still in IT, but you've made this jump into this massive, you know, Goldman Sachs is one of the most well-known banking investment organizations. And I'm just curious around that, because when we're speaking about female founders in tech, you and I we both know that there's huge inequities with regard to female founders being funded. Right. Um, and I read the uh, Crunchbase report. Uh, uh, like I'm so, so addicted to Crunchbase. It's like the best, <laughs> best reports come out. And they're mainly American. But, you know, I think that gives us a general idea of global funding. But the most recent one was saying that Q1 of 2021 was unprecedented as far as VC funding. Uh, it's an all-time high at $125 billion in the first quarter. However, <laughs> you then go on to the next report, and it says that 2020 was the lowest or the biggest drop in female-funded startups since, I think, 2015, 2017, one of those. And they were down, it was down to $4.9 billion. You know, what's your views on female-funded startups being so, you know, imbalanced? And where do you see, do you see that, what do you see the issue is? Uh, to be frank with you, it seems like a lack of respect for women and their ideas, mm-hmm. if I'm being blunt, because, you know, the fact that in 2020, obviously funding was still going out. I think the focus was less on equality and just more on what they at the moment might've felt like was worthy of, of their time and money. So I think that it's, it's definitely very disappointing that in a time where everybody was impacted, that yeah. the already disadvantaged group was more disadvantaged. Yeah. So it's yeah. definitely a shocking uh, statistic to see. I think that, yeah, it, it boils down to, you know, what we actually, what our real problem is when it comes to women in the workplace or women who are trying to, you know, create a company. And what I would say is, what if you were missing out on like the female version of Elon Musk or like there could, there was probably a woman there that you, you know, maybe somebody. How many have we missed already? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she could have changed the world with, with her ideas. And, you know, because at that moment you, you didn't maybe believe her because she, you know, seemed different than her male counterparts. Then, you know, that's, it's really the world's loss at that point. How do we, how do we get out of this? How do we stand up and say, no, we're not, we're not accepting this. Do you have any views on that? Yeah. I think that, you know, us right now, just having this conversation is bringing awareness to it. So, you know, while I would love to just go out right now and fight whoever I could to <laughs> contribute to this, uh, but, you know, obviously we, we can't do that. So I would say continuously having these conversations and, and bringing it up because having those conversations and if more and more people are talking about it and it's almost sort of to our benefit that something like this becomes trendy. And I feel like it's going back to women in tech, like women in tech has become trendy, which is why so many companies have kind of jumped on it and, you know, sort of contributed to making sure that they're helping towards closing that gap. And so we need to do the same thing with VC funding because yeah. you know, so far we're, we're sort of, we're sort of getting better at the conversation about women in the workplace, but now we need to go to the female founders and, you know, also help and help, you know, them, you know, pursue their dreams and ensure that they're not so disadvantaged as well. So I would say, I mean, my answer would just be to continuously, you know, have that conversation and, 
yeah, hopefully in the future, when these statistics are presented to the people who are actually, you know, granting these, this funding, that they will keep that in mind that people are watching you, people are understanding that, you know, you have a skewed perspective of who is worthy of, you know, investment and who is not. And it's, I mean, it's, it's helpful when you have, you know, women like yourself who are obviously climbing the corporate ladder, you know, once you get that seat at the table, make sure you leave the door open behind you for all the women coming behind you, you know, and also many more women, I think, have to, to see the possibility of moving into VC as a, as a career choice. You know, I think there's such a, a small amount of, of women in VC at the moment that, and what's great is there's, there is far more VC firms being created that are solely, fo- solely focused on funding underrepresented founders, which is great. But I think we do need to encourage more women into, into VC as well. So yeah, it's like- maybe that's your next move after Goldman Sachs. Maybe, maybe I'll just let you know. I think, yeah, it's really important, like going back to what you just said about when you get a seat in the table, like I would yeah. say make sure you're bringing chairs for the other girls because yeah. you you need to ensure that you're you're giving back, like you were presented with this opportunity. What are you doing? Like we can only sort of put the blame and, you know, point the finger at men for so long. Yeah. It's, it's to the yeah. point now where, you know, okay, if that two, 3% of women who are being granted their dreams, what are you also doing to kind of bring awareness um, and, you know, maybe ease the struggle for future generations? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sharing knowledge. I think it's really important for female founders to share their knowledge and like discuss their journey and sort of help pave the way. And I, I hope women are doing that. It's like, it's a funny example that like, you know, have you ever asked like, a girl like where did you get your outfit and she might not want to tell you yeah. where you're getting it well, in my opinion you should tell someone where you're getting yeah getting it. and I've I've had female peers like that who are sort of and they're not I don't, I don't want to say secretive but not as transparent and open and they just might be defensive of like what you know their kingdom and I or queendom if you will I, yeah. I personally feel like we have to now be more transparent than ever yeah. especially because we are the the minority and so you know speaking about your struggles so that someone else can skip over that part is is really important for women yeah no I, I completely agree and I think there is a, there are a lot of female founders and successful women in tech who are you know holding the door open yeah. keeping the seats sharing their knowledge and, and it's it's so so important and there, there are a lot of a lot of them doing it but a lot more still needs to happen to to help the rest of them so okay we are coming on to the quick fire round so i normally do a list of uh, questions and I, th- I should have them off the top of my head so the first question is if you what piece of software do you wish you founded i would say Google's cloud. Ah, okay. Why? I feel like they do everything so well when it comes to sort of creating these products and offerings to their customer base and refining them. And like, I've never dealt with an issue with like a code bug on, on their software. So I know it's not like, you know, obviously it's Google, so it's not like it came out of nowhere, but it's it, to me that's an example of, and I'm not endorsing Google, um, not to endorse them, but I would say, but like they're one of the examples of technology that I've worked with that's been so fine tuned and works perfectly and has a great amount of support aligned with it as well. Good. Okay. How do you stay informed? 
How do I stay informed? I would honestly say social media. Um, yeah. I get my news from social media, like LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Staying informed is really important with tech because you know there's always something else out there. And it's moving so fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I try not to let the pressure get to me. I'm like, hey, if I didn't learn, wasn't the first to learn about this, I'm perfectly fine. Like, you yeah. know, yeah, definitely trying your best to stay informed is important. Yeah. And so do you have a favorite Twitter and Instagram account? There's so many. (laughs) I I just follow like 30 or 40 different tech pages and, you know, whatever article pops up at me, I'll, I'll select. Yeah. And the new trendy thing now is the newsletters, right? It's the newsletters that are coming out. There's like, there's so many really, really good ones. It's just, they're just constantly, you know, trying to find them. If you're talking about newsletters, Medium has been one of my favorite platforms. There it's the only newsletter, like sometimes I'm inclined to unsubscribe to newsletters if it gets a lot. Medium is like, almost all of the ones, I don't know if it's their algorithm, but I'm getting in my inbox and like, oh, I have to click on this and read it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're good ones from like, you know, tech, non-tech, um, yeah. workplace discussions, all of that. So yeah. Yeah. Medium is great. What's your favorite book that you've like, read in the last year? Let's say. I would say. Are you a book reader? Are you still a book reader? I am. So Jen Sincero just released a book of about said how to, I think it's how to set boundaries like a badass. Okay. And I've been like literally endorsing this book to everyone because I just actually finished it up a couple of months ago. And what I love about it is like for the longest time, a lot of my reading would be like for school and tech and like, you know, more of the math and the science, like, but as engineers, because we spend so much time on the computer, there's so many life skills that I feel like I'm missing out on. And like, so many sort of interactions that I, I don't really get. So having someone like Jensen Zero, who's obviously extremely bright and insightful, sort of tell you, hey, you this is this is how you could potentially handle your situation better. And so I love the book because she goes into setting boundaries in pretty pretty much any aspect of your life. So for me, you know, there's things I've let slide at work or in my personal life or, you know, just in general with someone's behavior towards me or even my behavior towards myself. So kind of she supports self-awareness and sort of what's really between the lines when somebody is, you know, reacting to something that you've changed about your life or you've done. And so I, yeah, I definitely love that book. I think I would recommend anyone who is just sort of interested in kind of increasing, expanding upon their emotional intelligence to look into it. Awesome. Sorry, what did you say the author's name was? Jen Sincero. How do you spell that? S-I-N-C-E-R-O. Jen. Ah, okay. Perfect. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Well, that's us. Thank you so much for your time, Nilo. It was great. It was great to chat to you. And while we're chatting here, I'm thinking, I don't even think I've sent you an invite for a female founder squad. So I'm going to send you the invite on. Just have a look on it. See, we've got some just women working tech and female founders from all over the globe. And so have go on, have a look. It'd be great um, yeah. for you to see it. But thank you for your time. I really appreciate that. And this took us quite a bit of toing and froing to get set up. Didn't yeah. it? it was, uh, you know, oh God, I've got to have to cancel. I'm going to have to cancel. And, you know, between the two of us, we finally got there at last. So I appreciate your time so much. I wish you all the best with, with your new career at Goldman Sachs and everything you do. I'm sure you will need it. I'm sure you'll be awesome. But thank you for your time. Thank you, Zoe. It's been an enlightening conversation to start the day. I really <laughs> love having me on your show. 